Well, good morning, everybody. How good was that worship set? Let's give it up for the band, right? <laughs> Such a privilege to get to hear people using their gifts and their talents to glorify God like that and to, to lead us into the presence of God. It's just just such an awesome thing, and so good to worship with you this morning on this beautiful weekend. Hopefully you've gotten an opportunity to get outside and enjoy God's creation, and maybe this afternoon. Now, I think there's something that every single one of us here today has in common. There's something that every single person here can identify with, and that's this. Every single one of us has at least one regret. Would you agree with me? Every single one of us here has at least one regret. Now the thing about regrets is that sometimes they can be kind of fun, kind of lighthearted, you know. You might get together with your best friends from college or you might get together with some other childhood friends or maybe even at a family reunion and you share some of those stories maybe of regrets from the past and everybody laughs about it, you know. Remember that time when you did this. Or remember that time when you accidentally said that. Or remember that interaction you had with grandma and how funny that was. And so there are some times that our regrets can be kind of fun. You know, I was thinking back even just in ministry, I have a number of regrets, especially because I'm up talking in front of people pretty often and sometimes get my words twisted up a little bit. So I remember a couple times pretty vividly when I have completely botched my anniversary, which is kind of embarrassing. Maybe worse than that, though, I remember one time when I baptized a baby and I said the wrong name. That wasn't so good. I remember another time I was doing a wedding and I completely mispronounced their last name, which was embarrassing. And I was, I was sharing it with some friends of mine that are also pastors. And one said, hey, I mean, that's nothing. I decided to take a nap one afternoon and I slept through a wedding I was supposed to do. So <laughs> I felt like, you know, at least I haven't quite done that yet. I set like five alarms if I try to take a... But I think we all probably have some regrets that are kind of fun to share, maybe kind of funny to think about. But then we have other regrets that are not such a laughing matter. We might have regrets that still bring up pain today. Regrets that really hurt us deeply. You know, it's something that we did to someone one time, and we can still replay that in our head. Maybe it's something that we said to someone you know, just vicious, maybe out of anger, and we still regret that that would ever come out of our mouth. I think all of us probably have some regrets like that that still haunt us today. Now, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity, really the privilege, to sit with people in the last moments of their life, whether it was in a hospital or at their home in a hospice bed. And way too many times as I've talked to people in their last moments, they've voiced some sort of regret that they've had in their life, sometimes for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, something that they still think back, man, if I only could have done things differently, if I only would have said those words more kindly, if I only would have interacted with that person that I tried to ignore. You see, regrets can really impact our life, and they can really haunt us for many, many years. Well, there's a website that's been around for a long time. It was kind of a big deal maybe 10 years ago. And it's a website that's called secretregrets.com. 
somebody had the idea that because we all have regrets, and sometimes they're deep, dark secrets, we don't always have a great venue to share them. Yet we seem to experience some freedom and some kind of ability to process them when we share them. And so they decided to make this website where you could anonymously share some of your regrets. And so I copied a few of them down. They're going to be up on the screen. So here's what one person wrote. They wrote, I regret cheating on my wife. I have stopped seeing the other woman, but I'm now consumed with regret and a fear that the affair will come out, which would devastate my wife and do permanent harm to my relationship with her, my kids, friends, and family. Pretty brutal, right? Here's another one. My biggest regret, one that plagues me in my waking moments and some sleeping moments, is that when I was given the opportunity to go to USC for screenwriting, I didn't take the chance. They see their life going down another path. They can think of that opportunity and still regret not taking it. Here's another one. I regret not telling people how he hurt me. Now, if he is hurting other people, it's my fault. Some of this is heart-wrenching stuff. You know, it's pain that people have caused to others. It's pain that they've experienced themselves. And we all probably have something deep down inside that we also could share at this site. And that's why I'm so glad that you are here this morning. Because in this new series that we're kicking off today, we have the opportunity to start over. We have the opportunity to find freedom and to release all of our regrets. We all have the invitation to experience healing and wholeness in Jesus. It's one of the incredibly awesome powers of the gospel. And so the big idea for this series, if you want to kind of sum up what we're going to be talking about for the next number of weeks, it's this. We all can find freedom and live a life beyond regret. No matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've done or said, no matter what kind of regrets you carry with you today, we can all find freedom and live a life beyond regret. And it's not under our own power. It's not something we can do on our own. It's something that's made possible by Jesus. This is all based on a book called Starting Over by John and Dave Ferguson, who are pastors in Chicago. And I think they do an incredible job going through scripture and helping us understand biblically how we can get beyond our regrets. Our regrets don't have to dictate our future. Our regrets don't have to define us any longer. We can find forgiveness and healing and freedom through the cross. And then we're able to release our pain our shame, and our guilt. We can be restored, we can be redeemed, which just really means to be made whole again. And you know what? That's God's specialty. God is in the restoration and redemption business. God can take all of our hurt and our pain, not that he wanted it to happen, not that he even caused it to happen, but he can take our hurt and our pain and even use it to bring good. He can heal us 
so that we can bring hope to others. Now, regrets can come in all different shapes and sizes, and regrets tend to be intensely personal. Something that I might experience as a regret, something that wounds me deeply, might not affect another person who experiences the same thing. Some people can brush things off and move on and forget, and other people are still dwelling on the same instance decades into the future. And so we need to acknowledge my regrets, your regrets, might not look the same. But I do think we can group our regrets into three big categories. And so we're going to talk about this each week. But the three big categories of regrets are up here on the board. We start out with regrets of action. These are those things that we proactively do. They're the things that cause us to say, what in the world was I thinking? You know, sometimes it's dumb choices that we made. Maybe it's lies that we told. Maybe it's words that we've chosen to say, and now we regret that we would ever say something so mean. Maybe it's money we've spent. Have you ever bought something and then instantly regretted it? I think we can probably all identify with that. Personally, I can think of multiple times that I have wished that I have kept my mouth shut. I remember specifically right after being married, my wife coming down the stairs in a new dress saying, hey, what do you think of this dress? And now I recognize today there's only one proper response, right? <laughs> I should not share any part of my opinion to say, you look beautiful, honey. I still regret some of those things that I've said. But then we also have regrets of inaction. These are the missed opportunities in our life. You know, it's an opportunity to reach out to someone and we don't do it. It's an opportunity to build someone up with our words and we fail to do it. It's love that we fail to show to someone else. We have great opportunities and sometimes we let them pass by and we can regret that into the future. Now, if you've ever been to our traditional service or any traditional service, oftentimes there's a prayer that's said during the confession time. And it goes like this, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, those are the regrets of action. But then it goes on to say, and by what we have left undone. I think we all have those types of instances in our life, times that We've left something undone, and it can haunt us day after day. Well, then thirdly, we have regrets of reaction. Now, this is when something is done to us, and we choose to respond in an unhealthy way. Someone treats us in a certain way or says something to us. We have a certain experience, and it causes us to react in a way that we regret. Now, sometimes, not always, but sometimes this is a story of addictions. People experience something horrible in their life, and trying to cope with whatever has happened, they choose to go down a road of addiction. It's also sometimes, not always, but sometimes the story of abuse. When someone is abused as a child, statistics say they are that much more likely to abuse someone else when they're an adult. And so sometimes we have regrets in how we react to what we experience in our life. 
because of our pain, because of our hurt, because of how raw it can be, we end up acting and reacting in an unhealthy and hurtful way towards others. Now, our regrets in our life often contribute to something called the sorry cycle. The sorry cycle is where we feel intensely sorry about what's happened. We feel that regret viscerally in our life. And we tend to kind of imagine a DVD player or a DVR or television and how we can replay something. And we do that in our mind. We replay our regret again and again and again. Do you have an instance like that in your life, a time that you could replay every part of the interaction. You know every word that's said. You know where everyone was standing. You know exactly what you did. And you can replay it and replay it over and over again. You think about the regret and then you long for it to be different. You know, if I could only go back and press pause and if I could only change what I said or what I did or how I interacted with that person, everything would be so much better And we can get stuck in that sorry cycle, fixated on the regret, longing for it to be different. And some people are stuck in that cycle for a majority of their life. Psychologists have a name for this. They call it rumination. It's replaying our regrets again and again and again. And the problem is, church, it causes us to miss out on the life that God intends for us. We miss out on the joy and the peace that he wants us to experience. And it also keeps us from healthy relationships with others. Well, the good news of this series and the good news of the gospel is that there is a way to get unstuck. There is a way to break out of this cycle once and for all. And that's good news for every person here today. I want you to take a moment right now, just internally, personally, you don't have to share this with anyone else, but just consider the question, what regret or regrets are you carrying with you today? When I introduced the topic of this series, what was the first thing that came to mind? What is the regret or what are the regrets that you are carrying with you today? Jesus wants you, wants to help you release those regrets. He wants to help you get rid of those regrets. And with his help, we can not only break out of the cycle, we can even learn to love our regrets. Now, there's one guy in the Bible who experienced this in a profound way. And it's a guy named Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, one of his disciples. Now, Peter is one of my all-time favorite biblical characters because Peter, I think, is so easy to relate to. Peter is always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter is always fiery. He's ready to go. He jumps up. He wants to take action. And he makes a whole lot of mistakes in the process. And there's one time that Peter experienced deep, deep regret. But then Jesus helped him start over and find freedom. So it all started on one night 
when all the disciples and Jesus were gathered together in an upper room and they were sharing the Passover meal, something that they would do every year. It was something they had experienced from their earliest memories, this yearly celebration of how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And so they were hanging out, these best friends, they're sitting around the table, and Jesus is doing things a little bit differently, and it's kind of intriguing, and they're trying to figure it out, because he takes some bread, and he breaks it, and, and he says, this is my body given for you, and they're like, okay, that sounds odd, what's next? And Jesus takes a cup, and he says, this, this wine is a new covenant in my blood, and I'm going to shed it for you, and they're like, Jesus, you're sounding kind of strange now. And he's pointing them to the fact that he's about to go and die for all of humanity. But then he says something really troubling. He says, one of you seated here is going to betray me unto my death. And they're all like, no way, Lord. You're like one of our closest friends. We would never betray you. And Peter especially is like, there is no way I would ever betray you. There's no way. Jesus, I'm on your side no matter what happens. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, before this very night is even over, before the rooster crows at the break of dawn, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, it's not going to happen. I would never, ever do that to you. Well, then everything continues to play out. And they go to the garden to pray. And Jesus is arrested and he's betrayed by one of his friends, just like you said, Judas. And so Peter or Jesus is taken into custody and all of the rest of the disciples scatter. They're afraid for their lives. They run away. But Peter sticks around. He follows from a distance. He can't leave his friend. And so he's following along and Jesus is taken to go under trial at the high priest's house outside in a courtyard. So Peter follows, and he's in another courtyard adjoined to the high priest's house, and he's standing around a charcoal fire, and he's warming his hands, and someone at the fire says, I recognize you. You are one of Jesus' disciples. And right away, Peter says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never met him in my life. They go back to the fire a little bit, Later, another person says, hey, I recognize you. You were with Jesus the other day. I saw you. And again, Peter says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus at all. A little bit later, a little girl comes up to Peter and pulls on his robe and says, I know you. You're one of Jesus' friends. And again, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met him before. And at that moment, the Bible says, Jesus and Peter's eyes locked. And you can just feel Peter's heart sink. And you can just imagine the deep regret that he felt. Here's what scripture says. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He was overwhelmed with regret. 
Now this easily could have been the end of Peter's story. He would be a cautionary tale to us today. He gets stuck in the sorry cycle. He goes home, opens up his fishing business. The end. Just imagine the guilt and the disappointment that he's experiencing. How he's blaming himself over and over again. How could I do this to my best friend? But the story continues. Jesus is crucified and he's killed and he takes on the sins of the world and he's placed in a tomb and everybody thinks he's done for. But three days later on Easter morning, he rises again. There's a resurrection that takes place and everything changes. He appears to his disciples and they have no idea what to do with this. I mean, dead's dead, right? But suddenly here's Jesus right in the midst of them. And they're still trying to figure out what does this mean for us. And one day, seven of them are out on the Sea of Galilee. And what a better way to process things than go fishing, right? They go fishing and they don't catch anything all night. It's just like one of my fishing trips. Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, you fish forever and you don't catch even one. Well, on, in the morning as the sun is rising, they see the silhouette of a man on the beach and he yells out to him. They don't even know who he is. He says, why don't you put your net on the other side of the boat? They figure, what do we have to lose? So they try it out, and they catch more fish than they even know what to do with. And instantly, they know it's Jesus. And Peter is so overcome with emotion that he dives into the water, and he swims to shore. But think of what he's processing as he swims. What is Jesus going to say to me? Is he going to kick me out of the disciples? Is he going to punish me? Is he going to banish me? Is he going to shame me in front of my friends? Who knows what's going to happen? And so he's nervous, scared. When he gets to the beach, Jesus is sitting around a fire, which is just such a great image of Jesus. It's one of my favorites. I love to go camping and backpacking, and one of the best parts of camping and backpacking is sitting around the fire at night with your friends or your family. And here's Jesus, he's sitting by the fire and he's making breakfast, frying up some fish, maybe they have a little bit of bread. And I want you to notice here that the Bible says specifically this is a charcoal fire. And so just if you're wondering, Jesus by far prefers charcoal grills over gas grills. Right? <laughs> But it's only the second time in the Gospels that a charcoal fire is referenced. The first time was just a few days before when Peter was in the courtyard. Now, have you ever had a smell that can bring you back in time? You know, you smell cookies baking or you smell grandma's house or whatever it is. There's some smell that can just transport you to a place in the past. Now think about when you're around a fire and the smell of the smoke. So Peter comes up on the beach where Jesus is sitting and he smells the fire. Imagine where he's transported. Just a few days earlier when he was the biggest disappointment that he could ever be afraid to be. Where he had denied his best friend three different times. It had to remind him of his deep, deep regret. 
Well, after breakfast, Jesus and Peter finally get to have a conversation. And Jesus doesn't say, great friend you turned out to be, Peter. He doesn't say, how could you have done this to me? No, Jesus knows Peter's shame and guilt and pain, and he doesn't want to make it worse. And so this is the interaction. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, there's something going on here that's not readily noticeable in our translation. In Greek, there are multiple words for love. Now, one of the main words for love in Greek is agape. You've probably heard it before. Agape love describes the kind of love that God has for you and for me. It means unconditional love. There's another word for love that's sometimes used in Greek. And it's the word philio. If you've ever been to Philadelphia before, you know it's the city of brotherly love, right? And so philio love is a friendly, brotherly type of love. And so in this interaction, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's saying, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And when Peter responds, Yes, Lord, I love you. He doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word philia. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter honestly responds. He says, Lord, I like you. I don't think after my behavior, I don't think after what I've done to you, that I can actually say that I agape you. I don't deserve that. No, I'm trying hard. But I, I filio you. I, I like you a lot. I mean, it's that huge regret. Man, I've really messed up. I don't even know if I could call myself your disciple anymore. I really wish I could say agape. But filio is way more accurate. And you know what? This is such a great example for us. That when we come before God, we can be completely honest about where we're at. We can say, God, you know, I really wish I loved you completely, but I've got a lot of baggage that's holding me back. What are the things that are holding you back today from telling God, God, I love you unconditionally? What are those things that are holding you back today from fully following Jesus and his will for your life? Jesus says to Peter, and he says to you this morning, do you agape me? And just like Peter, we can be honest. We can say, no, Lord, I'm not there yet. I've got too many hurts. I have deep pain in my life. My wounds are are bad. I've got so many regrets. I need your help. And that's when Jesus responds, good, I can work with that. 
Let's start fixing that. Peter failed Jesus three times. He denied him three times. And Jesus restores him in this conversation three times. Three is a significant number in the Bible. It symbolizes wholeness and completeness and healing. Peter had the profound night of disappointment and agony. And it led to Jesus' night of agony and pain. And because of Jesus' agony and pain, we can have freedom because of the cross. He invites us into a new reality. Jesus was the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away Peter's sins and your sins and my sins. And a new day is possible. Now, in this short interaction, Jesus does two really important things for Peter. First of all, Jesus confirms the relationship. Each time Jesus says, feed my sheep, each time Jesus says, do you love me, it's proof that he's not cutting the relationship off. When Jesus says, do you love me, there's an implication there that he's also saying, because I still love you. And you know what? When we know we're loved, well, then we can move forward with courage and strength. We can be confident that he's still there and that he will help us and he will redeem us. Jesus didn't put Peter through the ringer. He didn't give him the cold shoulder. He didn't even lecture him. Instead, he simply expressed his enduring love for Peter. He reassured him our relationship is still secure. Church, I think some of you today desperately need to hear this. Your relationship with God is still secure. You are profoundly, you are recklessly loved by God. No matter your story, no matter what baggage you bring with you, no matter what regrets you have, your relationship with God is secure because of Jesus. And he wants to help you release your regrets. Number two, Jesus confirms Peter's purpose. Every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, it's the good shepherd giving him responsibility. It's like they're out on the playground. And Jesus says, I'm picking you for my team, Peter. I'm not going to just leave you hanging. I want you to be on my team. Jesus doesn't say, you're disqualified, you're not good enough, I can't count on you. Instead, he's saying, Peter, you still have a purpose to fulfill. I have great plans for you. I want you to lead my church. And just a few weeks later, if you read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it's Peter who gets up in front of hundreds of people and shares the gospel and establishes the first church. I think some of you desperately need to hear this today. You have a God-given purpose. He wants to use you. No matter what regrets you have, he picks you to be on his team. You are both loved and called. I'm going to say that one more time because I want it to sink in. You are both loved and called. See, I think the scene between Jesus and Peter is one of the most powerful interactions in all of the Bible. 
Jesus refuses to let Peter get stuck in the sorry cycle. And instead, he confirms their relationship and he confirms his purpose. And because of that, healing begins. And it's a life-giving moment. And Peter is able to move on from his regrets and he's able to start over and find freedom. And Jesus is able to accomplish even more in and through him than ever seemed possible. Church, regret is not meant to be a finish line, but instead it's a starting point. And that can be true for you today. Regret can actually be a helpful thing. It can help us move forward in a more healthy way. It can give us motivation to do things differently, to have a heart for a specific group of people. It can cause us to make things right with others. And I think we can learn to love our regrets because they can launch us into an even better future. You see, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you today. The very last thing that Jesus had to say to Peter were two powerful words in verse 19. And there are two words for you. Follow me. Jesus is inviting Peter on a journey beyond his regrets. And he invites you on that same journey today. And so during the coming weeks, we're going to break this apart. And we're going to see biblically how Jesus wants to help us recognize our regrets and then release our regrets and then how he wants to redeem our regrets and then we'll end by seeing how we can live a life beyond our regrets where God uses them for more good than we even imagined was possible. So I want to invite you back next week as we continue to look at this important topic. But what I want to do right now is invite you into a moment of prayer, really an experiential prayer. And the first thing I want you to do is to just center in on a regret that you're carrying with you that you would really love to release. Something weighing you down. It could be a relational regret. Maybe you wish you had said something to one of your parents before they passed away. Maybe you wish you had treated your siblings differently. Maybe it was a, a marriage relationship that went bad. Maybe you wish you had just loved better. Or maybe you wish you had been loved better. Maybe it's related to your health. Maybe you have a regret in how you've taken care of yourself. Maybe you're wondering, why, God, why would you allow this condition to be a part of my life? Maybe it's a financial regret. You wish you had been smarter as you planned your finances. You wish you had made better decisions and you weren't feeling the effects today. Maybe it's related to your purpose. You wish you had taken a different path with your life. You wish you had lived for a bigger, better cause. And you feel like your life is slipping away. Maybe it's a spiritual regret. You regret walking away from God. Maybe you wish you weren't so distant from him today. You wish you had a closer relationship with him. Whatever that regret is, I want you to focus on that for a moment. And I want you to listen to the words of this song the band is going to share. 
and also watch the images that will be